I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our lesson is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Please stand as you are able. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called Nazarene. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we are, this first Sunday after Christmas, only to discover that the story of Jesus' birth isn't quite finished. We'd like it to end with the warmth of a cattle stall and a baby swaddled in clean cloth lying in a manger. We'd like this wondrous story of a miracle birth to end with angel song. Peace on earth, good will to everyone, announcing the good news of a child born who changes everything. 
We'd like this story to end with candles lit and sweet strains of away in a manger and silent night. Isn't that why we've watched and waited these four weeks in Advent? This was the moment of all of our longing, all of our hoping. The birth of an infant who is our Savior and Lord. The infant who is God with us. But this tiny baby, this gift of God's love came to us, to our world. And our world is a dangerous place. And so on this first Sunday after Christmas, the warmth and tenderness and safety of a manger bed lit by heavenly star is shattered by the violent reality of this world in which we live. The realities of our world haven't changed one bit from the world that Jesus was born into. Political and powerful forces are always threatened by the young and the humble and the prophets among us who speak and live truth. And these forces will do anything, even massacring the innocent, to maintain their power. We may want to ignore it because the rest of the Christmas story is not pleasant. But there it is in Matthew's Gospel. It cannot be ignored, not if we want to know the whole truth of God and this Jesus born to show us the way. Can you imagine the panic Mary must have felt when Joseph woke her suddenly in the middle of the night, hurrying her to get up and quickly pack what they had because Herod the king was sending soldiers to search for and kill their baby Jesus? Can you imagine? Angels have sung of joy, and shepherds have visited and bowed down, and wealthy magi have come from far away to worship the baby and leave expensive gifts, and now Herod is coming to destroy him? When mothers and and fathers are face danger, threatening their children, They do the only thing they can do. They flee. And they flee to the safest place they know, the safest place they can get to. They flee even if the fleeing itself is dangerous. Now Joseph, who is not unaccustomed to hearing from God in dreams, heeds the warning and follows the angel's instructions. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly where in Egypt Mary and Joseph and the child went, but those 250 miles, maybe more, must have been harrowing miles. Egypt was a place that they most likely had never been, a place where they knew no one. They didn't know the language. They didn't have a job waiting for them. Where would they live? How would they survive? How long would they be there? Imagine the fear of what you are running from 
coupled with the anxiety and uncertainty about the unknown that is ahead. Fortunately, most, if not all of us, can only imagine. For we have not experienced anything like this in all our lives. But millions upon millions of people in our world today know exactly what this fear is like. They understand perfectly, for this is their story too. A refugee is defined as a person who has been forced to flee their country in order to escape war, persecution, threat of violence, or natural disaster. There are 70.8 million refugees and internally displaced persons in our world today, and half of them are children. That is one out of every 108 human beings on the earth. More than the total populations of California and Texas combined. Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus were refugees. That, too, is part of the Christmas story. Our text today could take us down several paths of inquiry. One path might seek an answer to a very difficult question. If God works in such a way that angels warn persons of impending danger, is it right that only one family be warned? Why not all the families of those innocent children? Another path asks the question, how does God respond to evil in the world? That was the path I was tempted to travel today. A third path could consider the ways in which God's God's ultimate purposes are accomplished. Or a companion idea, the affirmation of the Apostle Paul that God works for good in all circumstances. But I have chosen today to think with you about the plight of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus as refugees and the idea, the affirmation. No, more than that, the truth that when we welcome the homeless stranger, we welcome the babe of Bethlehem. I don't know. Does it bother you to have the term refugee attached to the Holy Family, to think of Jesus as a refugee? There's such a lot of emotion attached to that word these days. You hear it in political debates and speeches. You read it in tweets. You feel it when a Facebook meme appears on your feed. And we see it live and in real time on television news day after day after day. Few of us take that word refugee and all the baggage it carries as neutral. Rather, our emotions are strong. They may be compassion, anger, fear, confusion, Honestly, it's easier not to think about it at all, isn't it? But that 
big collective word, refugees, has 71 million individual names and faces. There are 71 million people each with a story to tell. Each has suffered. Each desires a place of safety, a place to call home. Each one is searching for refuge. And in this world, refuge can only come as a gift of gracious welcome, a gift of help and kindness from the hand of strangers. What is it that engenders such fear in us about refugees, this collective of people we do not know and who are not like us? As long as they are over there somewhere, we can sort of ignore them. But here, crossing our borders and moving into our neighborhoods, why do we feel so threatened? Perhaps we see them as a danger to our lives and our families. Perhaps we are fearful that they will take from our limited resources what they did not earn. Perhaps we are threatened by customs and a worldview we do not understand. A story is told out of the Hebrew out of the Hindu religious tradition of a man walking into a dark room. He's horrified to see what looks like a snake coiled in the corner. Though full of terror at the prospect of a venomous snake ready to strike, he fights the urge to flee and instead moves toward the snake to examine it. On looking closer, he discovers that the snake is nothing but a harmless coil of rope. This, according to Hindu tradition, is the purpose of philosophy, to take away the fearsomeness of the world by removing the threat of the unknown. Knowledge of the truth about the world makes the world less fearful and more bearable. It is true, however, that there is nothing more natural or more innate than to avoid the fearsome snake in the dark corner and stay safely apart with our own kind. It's safer when we know what to expect of others and we know what's expected of us. It's a remarkable thing, then, to read that early on in Israel's history, God's people were explicitly commanded to love the refugee, the stranger, the other, in the same way that they loved themselves. In Leviticus chapter 19, we read, When the immigrants live in your land with you, you must not cheat them. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your own citizens. You must love them as yourself because you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. It is unnatural enough to be told by Jesus many years later to love your neighbor as yourself, but to love even the foreign alien? And Jesus is even more direct. Love your enemy. 
Now that's totally counter to the way in which our world works. The kingdom way is to take our fear of the other, of that unknown stranger, and transform it into acts of love on their behalf. That's the way of God as seen through the life and teaching of Jesus. Have you ever wondered how Mary and Joseph and Jesus managed to travel that 250 or more miles to Egypt, a journey they had not taken before, a journey taken on the spur of the moment? They certainly didn't hop in a car and pull into a roadside inn just outside Cairo five hours later. This past Thursday, I went with my family to see the movie Harriet. This is the telling of that little-known backstory of Harriet Tubman, her life as a slave, her escape, and her lifelong work as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. It is the story of her commitment and effort to bring as many people who were enslaved in the South to freedom. And if you haven't seen this movie, I would recommend it to you. From Harriet's first 100-mile journey from the plantation on which she was enslaved in Maryland to freedom in Philadelphia, and including the countless other journeys she took for the sake of others, I was struck by the fact that she wouldn't have made it, even considering her indomitable strength of spirit and will, even considering the very real and certain guidance of God. She wouldn't have made it without the help and the kindness, the protection and safety, the refuge offered by strangers. Centuries ago, in the 12 and 1300s, when pilgrims began walking hundreds of miles from Europe across northern Spain to the Cathedral of St. James in order to meet God, they could never have survived this dangerous journey if strangers had not provided a place of refuge along the way and if they had not relied on that hospitality and kindness. This is how it must have been for the Holy Family as they traveled this dangerous journey to Egypt in order to protect Jesus from King Herod's death sentence. Hospitality is the, in the ancient world was a matter of survival. Hospitality minimized the threat that a stranger posed. Hospitality provided refuge from an unforgiving wilderness. Hospitality was a practical matter for both host and guest. Mary and Joseph would have had to rely on the hospitality of strangers while on their journey and as they lived in a foreign land. They wouldn't have made it otherwise. They were given refuge. Refuge. For the refugee child who was Emmanuel, God with us. So I wonder what it says to us about God and God's kingdom that Jesus was a refugee. It seems to me that the experience of being a refugee and a stranger to a place far from home is something that surely must have informed Jesus' teaching about the will and the way of God. 
When he set out on his mission, Jesus took up the life of a displaced person with nowhere to lay his head. He asked his disciples, those who acted for him, to go out without a bag or a change of clothing, essentially to walk the road like a destitute refugee who had suddenly fled and had to rely on the generosity and hospitality of ordinary people. It was the kind of welcome that villages gave to poor wanderers like this that identified if they were on God's side or not. Jesus himself was a person of welcome to the stranger, the other, the least of these. He welcomed children and blessed them. He touched the leper and the blind beggar. He sat down at the table of tax collectors and sinners. He struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. As master and Lord, he washed the feet of his disciples and he let a woman anoint him with expensive perfume. Jesus received hospitality and refuge graciously, and he lavishly gave hospitality to others, the stranger, the homeless, the sick, the outcast, the least of Jewish society. And then, toward the end of his life on earth, Jesus said something extraordinary. He said, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick. And you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. You did it for me. These words instruct us They challenge us. They show us the will and the way of God. There were those on that frightful road to Egypt who literally provided refuge to the infant Jesus. But that road and that time, that one point in all history was not the end. Today, In spite of our fear and discomfort, when we provide refuge to a homeless stranger, we provide refuge to the babe of Bethlehem. When we welcome the homeless stranger, we welcome the one who had no place to lay his head. When we welcome the homeless stranger, we care for the one who blessed children and healed the lepers and became friends with sinners. When we welcome the homeless stranger... We hold our arms out in welcome to the one who is Savior and who is Lord of all. We have an opportunity at the beginning of a new year and the dawn of a new decade to be people who turn the world's way upside down and to truly be 
the people of God, those who provide refuge for the homeless stranger. God calls each of us to personal ways of doing that. Not all of us will go overseas. Not all of us will travel to our southern border. We have homeless strangers in our neighborhood. And they don't have to live on the streets to be homeless. There are those without family, without safety. There are those who do not experience the abundant gifts of God's Spirit. All these are in some way homeless. What would God have you do personally to invest in the life of a homeless stranger this year? Our governor, Eric Holcomb, has taken a stand. In his letter this month on December 13th, complying with President Trump's executive order requiring governors to provide letters of consent to opt in or out of refugee settlements in their states, Governor Holcomb wrote, Our long tradition of welcoming and helping to resettle refugees with support from our federal partners shows the world the compassion of Hoosiers and our willingness to give others the ability to grow and prosper in the great state of Indiana. In this divisive and angry climate that our nation is now experiencing, if Governor Holcomb can take this stand, surely God's people can do no less. This Christmas story, it seems to me, is not just the story of four weeks in Advent and 12 days following Christmas Day. Whenever one refugee is given refuge, the Christmas story is lived again. In 2020 and beyond, let's celebrate Christmas every day. In closing, I would like to pray a prayer that Pope Francis offered this year on behalf of the refugees of this world. May it be our prayer today. Merciful God, we pray to you for all the men, women, and children who have died after leaving their homelands in search of a better life. Though many of their graves bear no name, to you each one is known, loved, and cherished. May we never forget them, but honor their sacrifice with deeds more than words. We entrust to you all those who have made this journey, enduring fear, uncertainty, and humiliation in order to reach a place of safety and hope. Just as you never abandoned your son as he was brought to a safe place by Mary and Joseph, so now be close to these, your sons and daughters, through our tenderness and protection. In caring for them, may we see a world where none are forced to leave their home and where all can live in freedom, dignity, and peace. Merciful God and Father of all, wake us from the slumber of indifference, open our eyes to their suffering, and free us from the insensitivity born of worldly comfort and self-centeredness. Inspire us as nations, communities, and individuals to see that those who come to our shores are our brothers and sisters. 
May we share with them the blessings we have received from your hand and recognize that together, as one human family, we are all migrants journeying in hope to you, our true home, where every tear will be wiped away and where we will be at peace and safety in your embrace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs>